In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next oh not Next Generations International. I am Ron Cole, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me all the way from across the pond, the pararock psychologist, parapsychologist himself, Mr. Cal Cooper. Hello, Ron. How you doing? You sound like you've got a bit of a croaky voice today. Yeah, I got a freaking call. Oh, no. How's the weather like over there? Because it's bitterly cold here. Have you got bad weather too? No, we have good weather. Oh, uh, you've just got a cold then. <laughs> no, that's the problem. We haven't really had winter here. Oh. And so it's something... been warm, it so... gets a little cold, and then it gets warm, and that's it. Don't kill the bugs so they get around. <laughs> oh dear, so, I hope you get over it soon I, I, I had a bit of it the other day and it was horrible Yeah, yeah, well it's been rough uh, I know my wife was sick at Christmas time So, and everything But anyways, I understand you're heading for the States tomorrow, right? I am, my first trip over um, I'm going to take the book with me um, The whole proof and a big red pen And start going through it It's in its final stages now, so the next couple of the weeks, I promise it it will be out. It'll be available for sales. But I'm I'm really looking forward to this trip because there's so much going on. Um, On Thursday, I'm speaking to the the Life After Life Club, which is in Laguna Woods in Southern California. And that's hosted by uh, Dr. Elizabeth McAdams. And then this coming Saturday, I'll be going to Northern Hollywood uh, to meet uh, D. Scott Rogo's father as well. Uh, the rest of the time, I'll be uh, just meeting and greeting other people that are interested in the paranormal. Hmm. So, do you have any events or anything scheduled? Yeah, um, it'll be the. Uh, I'll have to get the exact details of the Life After Life Club. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, to find out, I know people are going to buy tickets beforehand, but it will be within Laguna Woods. So, if anyone's living near Laguna Woods, do a Google search of me and telephone calls from the dead and it should actually come up but anyone's welcome to come it would be great to see you there um yeah how about you ron have you got anything coming up i have tons of stuff uh of course uh thursday i start my paranormal csi class at uh northern essex which is great the it just got a big write-up in the uh boston globe on it and uh I'm really excited about that, and I know that in March uh, I will also be doing a uh, ghost hunt there at the VZ Estate, and also 
school, and I have uh, a ghost hunt at the Hooten Mansion in North Adams. So those are, uh, if you go to our website, which is anyghostproject.com, letter N, letter E, ghostproject.com, you'll see a list of a lot of them, and there's even more that aren't even on there. So uh, I'm really psyched about it. <laughs> Excellent. What about the... Um what about the projects that uh, you, me, and uh, Nori have gotten later this year? Should we discuss those, or should we leave those till a bit later? No, you I think, can, I think because we get, I actually... Yeah, I we actually, should give an inkling of what's going on. Right. I actually went on a, uh, a radio show earlier this morning, uh, WCCM, my old hometown station where I started radio, and I announced, announced this. So, yeah, we definitely can, and basically in July, uh, it seems like we will be doing a conference here in uh, Groveland up at the uh, VZ Estate, so I'm really psyched about that. Go on then. You, you and Nori discussed it more about the whole structure of the event then. So what exactly are we going to expect? Uh, well, still, want... it's still building. Of course, you will be there. And uh, uh, Brian Shepard, I believe, is coming as well. Um, I also mm-hmm. uh, have talked to Robert Murch, who will be on my show tomorrow night. He is the largest... Uh, he has the largest Ouija board collection uh, <laughs> in the world. And, and he's a historian of the, the uh, Ouija board as well. So uh, that we'll have him there as well. Uh, I believe that Jane Darty uh, will be there. She was on the TV show Dead Tennis and also uh, does a lot of work at the Crystal Skulls. Uh, but those are some of the guests that we have. There, there are others in the wings, too, that I just got to nail down. But uh, we are having a psychic versus science ghost hunt. I know that... We'll have lectures, we'll have workshops, uh, there'll be a dinner there. Um, there will be a live G-Ward session, uh, probably at midnight or there are close. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of stuff. It should be uh, a really exciting time, and that's on July, the weekend of July 27th. I don't know, a whole weekend of things. Which haunted locations would this be that we're going to? The, did you say the Hooten Mansion? No, 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 that's a DC estate. They'll all be at the VZ Estate in Havel. It's a it's a large uh, it's a large um, used to be the residential summer residence of uh, Havel Industrious Arthur VZ, uh, and then it was a uh, the nuns took it over. Uh, they ran a, uh, a sanitarium, well not a sanitarium uh, a place out of there uh, like a a camp for. second this coming Thursday. Um, the lecture is going to be uh, from 3.30 till 5pm. Um, it's $20 for members, $25 for non-members, and it's at the 
uh, Laguna Woods Village Life After Life Club. Um, so anyone that's in the Laguna area and wants to go to uh, Laguna Woods Village, um, it should be on the list of events that are going on there. Um, so yeah, look forward to seeing anyone. If anyone can get along that's listening to this, that'd be cool. So you, you do lectures a lot, or is that something that's fairly new to you? Um, certainly for conferences, um, I, I presented on different things, but that, that's the sort of thing where you know a conference is coming up and you kind of get some research ready or a paper and you submit it and hope that your paper's accepted and you can go and talk. Uh, with these ones, um, especially this one in the USA, this has been in preparation for the past couple of years, really. Um, certainly when I was still doing my undergraduate degree, um, Dr. Elizabeth McAdam suggested that I went over there to kind of do some talk on um, telephonic communication with the dead. And now it's got to this stage where I've written the new book. We thought it was a perfect chance to actually go over there and speak to a load of people and kind of organize other places that I could go to and people that I could visit that have helped along the way with the book. So, um, you know, going to see Scott Ruggo's family is going to be a, a, a real pleasure and, um, you know, really cool part of the trip, um, especially taking some of the tapes back that have been sent through the post all throughout the year from the US, the UK to help me with all this and different paperwork that was sent over. I can take it back in person. To all those that helped out, um, but I'm really looking forward to kind of sightseeing and checking out what the place is like. And um, th this is kind of the first of many of the invited talks that I'll be doing this year. I've got um, the Ghost Club in June, I think. I need to write down an exact list of all the dates, but uh, the Ghost Club. In will June will they be on your website? Yeah, I'll start putting them up, actually. This is a good point. I'll make a note of that. <laughs> uh, Ghost Club in June. Um, in May, I'm speaking at the Royal Naval Society down in Old Portsmouth in the UK. Um, that's also on the subject of telephone calls from the dead. Um, they're, they're putting on a, a nice lecture room for me in there um, to um, talk to anyone that wants to come along and um, promote some of the book. And also later this year in November... I've been invited to the Scottish Society for Psychical Research to go up and um, talk about the same subject as well. So um, depending on how well the book does, and fingers crossed people are going to like it, there should be kind of more things coming up. I've got a, load, a list of interviews that I need to sort out and things I need to reply to. The emails this past couple of months have just started flooding in. And, you know, hardly about in the UK at the end of this month, I'm off to Egypt to do some research as well. That's also stuff that I've left in the files and has been waiting for a while. I wrote an article about a year ago that I submitted to Paraanthropology, um, <clears throat> which is an online journal magazine which Jack Hunter, who we've had on the show, started up and he's uh, producing that journal. Um, and I kind of talked about uh, these ancient beliefs about ghosts and how they were incorporated into religion, especially from the viewpoint of ancient Egypt. So going over there and actually doing a bit of ghost research and actually going to visit some of these um, famous locations that also have little-known ghost stories surrounding them is going to be fantastic to go over there as well. So uh, loads of projects in the pipeline that are coming up, so it's really starting to get busy this year. Uh, that's excellent. <coughs> that's, that's the most excellent. Um, you know, Cal, the, the book, uh, Phone Calls from the Dead, is certainly intriguing uh, with with. Uh, especially being a parapsychologist, so I assume you look at it uh, strictly from the science end, or, or do you go into the metaphysical end of it? Well, I think we we mentioned uh, last week on the show when 
I think someone in the chat room asked whether it was possible to, possible to study these in the lab. And I did say, yeah, there was one study. Um, if anyone's interested in ITC, I recommend, uh, and EVPs, I recommend they subscribe to the ITC journal, which you'll find at, I think it's itcjournal.org. And they published a list of various articles and research papers on ITC and EVP. And one of them in there was by Paolo Prezzi, and he'd um, compared the um, audio acoustical properties of uh, voices of the dead or supposed voices of the dead with voice recordings of those same people when they were alive to see if the voice patterns matched up, basically. So they did two comparisons, one where you just sit there and you listen to the two tapes and you just compare from your own hearing how well you think the two voices match. <clears throat> and then it goes through the computer and the computer does a, a full-on match where it kind of overlaps the two voices to see if they match in terms of, you know, similar words. And the most incredible one was uh, the voice of Dr. Konstantin Radova, who was well known for his research in EVP after Frederick Jurgensen and Raymond Bayless. And he produced the um, book Breakthrough, which came with a record of examples of his EVPs. And uh, his voice, um, they got the voices of him when he was alive from the record and other recordings. And then after he died, he supposedly telephone called several people and spoke to them. And two of these instances, his voice was recorded. Uh, right. I think we did talk a little bit about that last time. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He um, it, he rang several times, so I think this gave people the opportunity to kind of catch it at the right point, and they'd started recording a lot of their telephone conversations in the hope that he'd call again, and it turns out he did. <clears throat> so there we have a, an example of something that we can compare to the voice of the same person when they're alive. Unfortunately, in this study, it showed that the acoustical properties didn't match, but to listen to them, it sounded you know, just like his voice, and he got a very distinctive accent. The thing is that I, you said last week, and it was absolutely um, you know, correct of you to say so, it wouldn't necessarily match up because the voice isn't being produced out of a physical body anymore. So right. that was one of the alternative explanations that I kind of mentioned in the book. I said, well, you know, this is one way of testing it. Surely the voice patterns will match up if it's the same person. But what we've got to look at is the voice isn't being produced from a physical body anymore, so it's not necessarily going to be exactly the same. Surely, if we are surviving death in some way, we'll at least make a, an attempt to make the voice sound as recognisable to the living as we can. And maybe this is what's going on. This is an alternative reason as to why it doesn't match up. So I, I, I've not been biased and just completely considered one explanation. I've been as sceptical as I can throughout the whole book. And I said, look, these are the more likely explanations. These are the psychological explanations. And then I start to tiptoe further and further into the more paranormal explanations and bizarre theories. <clears throat> if we're completely lost for any rational explanation, if we've searched for all the rational explanations and they just don't fit, what else can we turn to? And right. have we got a number of these cases that present these paranormal or alternative theories um, to show that there is a good body of evidence to suggest that maybe we should turn to these paranormal theories so the books considered psychology, parapsychology, physics, paraphysics, philosophy, um, even experts in mathematics. <clears throat> I've had uh, Elizabeth McAdams review it with her background in EVP research and survival research. Uh, uh, Dr. John Palmer, who contributed to the first book, he's an experimental parapsychologist at the Rhine Research Center in Durham, uh, USA. He's contributed again, which is I'm so proud that he's uh, 
and happy that he's actually uh, reprised his role uh, from the original books. That's great. And he, he kind of criticizes the whole um, research. He goes through my research and tries to look for his point of view from his um, 30, 40 plus years of experience in parapsychology. And luckily, I, I've acted on all the criticisms of the first book, so there wasn't really anything that um, John did criticise. He's uh, mainly just raised additional points. And the same for Dr. Jim Beachler as well, whose um, background is in paraphysics, which is mainly he's looked at the, the, the kind of physical side of paranormal phenomena from the viewpoint of physics, as he is um, an experimental physicist. And at the moment in paraphysics, he's looking at... Um, uh, the physics of consciousness he's exploring, the philosophy of physics and how it might be possible in terms of physics for consciousness to survive after death. It gets so complex, but hopefully in the book I've explained it as clear as possible and it will be enjoyable for anyone to read and easy. It just goes step by step through the chapters. It just gets deeper and deeper and more interesting. When does the book physically come out? When does it actually come out ready to buy? Uh, it. Let me guess. I come back from. I'm guessing around about the the twentieth of February. It will, it should be out by then. <clears throat> I have the actual book in my hand right now. It's a stack of pages, and he's checking through. My publishers are sorting out the rest and uh, the cover and the printing's all ready. So it it just needs a final go ahead, and then it can go off. But not right. till I get back from America, it can't. Right, you have the, you have the proof, basically, right? Yeah, I've got it in front of me now. That that's all done. Nothing much more is going to be changed. I've just got to go through it for final check throughs, and we're away. And there you the go. second phone calls from the dead is out. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm psyched about seeing it myself, actually. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, when you, hopefully in July, when you come over, you will have some with you as a, as well. We'll do a trade. You can give me Richard's book for one of these books. Oh, what happened to mine? Yeah, well, you can try me one of your books as well. You can promise me one of Richard's books as well. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever read Ghost Chronicles, by the way? Uh, Norris got a copy, so every time um, I walked past it, I picked up and I kept on going through and reading some of the different accounts, but I haven't read it recently. I think she, <clears throat> you gave it to her over a year ago, I think, and that's when I first started picking it up. So, um, yeah, I have read bits of it, but I think, you know, nothing... I can't remember some specific cases. I'm sorry, Ron. But no, 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 I mean, uh, there, there, are two, there, are, there are two books that I, that I wrote, of course, Ghost of the Day and Ghost Chronicles. <coughs> yeah. Ghost, it's, it's, Ghost it's, of the Day is just 365 accounts of ghost stories from around the world, where Ghost of Chronicles is actually the cases of Maureen and myself, as we did investigating, which includes uh, the Hooten Mansion, uh, Wood Island Lighthouse, Lizzie Borden House, uh, Wyndham Restaurant, you know, there's a lot of different ones, Exorcism and everything else. Uh, that that's the particular book that I would like to have you read because it is interesting as far as uh, it, it's like you're really with us, so you you kind of like see how we do things, which you know I know that you, you won't like, but that's besides the point. <laughs> no, it was the Ghost Chronicles one that I read through. Um, oh, okay. As I say, I, I picked out specific cases. I, I didn't go through it start to finish. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's that's, un that's understandable as well. It, it was I, in my in my pile of hundreds of other books that I had to read through. So I did look at bits and bobs. I, I need to look at your other book as well. But have you got plans to do another one? 
that's on the same lines, or are you thinking of doing something totally different if you do? Oh, I, I have other books in, in, the, in the work. The question is whether you know they get published or not, and uh, so forth. That's that's the deal. So I mean, we I'm always working on different ideas and concepts. Uh, so, anyways, the uh, I understand we have a new uh, video player or something on the website, and I've gotten some emails from people saying they're having problems with getting in and so forth. Uh, so anyways, I, I hope to have that straightened out and uh, I will let people know uh, how to get in or how how it works exactly. So in fact, I'll probably post that on my Facebook page so people will know as well. So yeah, if you uh, oh, you're not in the chat, I can tell you that because I'm in here. So anyways, um, Cal, I, I know that you... Have been doing this for a while, and, and you you've gone on a few investigations yourself as well, right? Yeah, um, okay. since about two thousand and three, two thousand and four, I think I actively started going out to haunted locations and taking a notebook and pen and a few gadgets along and investigating hauntings. I haven't. I, I've mainly switched to all the academical side over um, past year or so because of the the pressure of doing a master's degree and all the the rest, it gave me little or no time to actually go out and do investigations. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, now, now the um, time's starting to free up after this book, I'm hoping I can get back to it. I mean, coming over to the States and doing some investigations with you is going to be absolutely great because it'll be, you know, I'll start to get that buzz again for it. Right. Now, when you said you went out and you took a couple of gadgets, what gadgets do you particularly use? I'm just interested in that. Well, when I first went out, it was just your typical EMF meter when no one kind of fully understood why they were being taken out. I mean, I'd already read up on the EMF meter, and I had an idea from the viewpoint of psychology why they were being used. But no one else at the time was really, um, you know, people that went along on ghost hunts, they never had any of their own equipment. They um, had mainly just got all these ideas that they'd seen on the TV about them, which was, you know, if the meter goes off, it's because you've just put it in a ghost or if there's a ghost nearby. <laughs> and it was a very strange kind of view of what the EMF meter does or why it's actually used in paranormal investigation. Uh, apart from that, I just got your typical stuff of video cameras, tape recorders and torches, really. And um, oh, oh, also the uh, the beam barriers. So you can set them up in corridors and if anything passes through it, they'll go off. So... It really was very basic tools, and I think if I went back to my uh, ghost hunting kit now, it's probably still got the same basic stuff in it. <laughs> and it needs updating, Rotten. You need to give me some of your equipment. <laughs> Share. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's interesting. Now you said the bean berries, and, and and I mean, have those ever tripped while you were using them or anything? I think they did when we were in uh, Clifton Hall, and that was in 2005. I think when Barry John last came on the show, and we were trying to figure out when the last time Barry and myself had worked together, it, it was at Clifton Hall, and we'd set up bean barriers up there, and we kept putting them on the top floor <coughs> near the old children's nursery. And if you go on YouTube forward slash Parapsychology 101, You'll see a video under the uh, on the under the title of Unexplained One, and I think that's a couple of years later. Uh, we set up a number of trigger objects, and one of the trigger objects we put in the children's nursery, which was a whistle and an old English penny. The penny had moved, and I set it up. I drew around the penny and the whistle. I signed it, checked it was all fine. Got up, 
the two people that were with me, they left the room. I followed them out. And um, then when we came back to that room, I was the first one to go in and the penny moved about a centimetre outside. So <clears throat> back in 2005, when we had the beam barriers up, they also kept going off around this one particular room. It seemed to be quite the centre of activity. And it's a very unusual room because a lot of the floorboards um, have been raised since the original uh, design of the building. Uh, recently, it's been completely refurbished, so some of the floors have been raised and uh, certain rooms have been changed around and walls have been knocked down. But we had some activity in there. And, you know, I don't normally mention this stuff going on, but, you know, this, these are the early ghost hunts that I did. And we tried to do them under very strict conditions so nothing could go wrong. No trickery could take place. We weren't tricking ourselves. Um, when I came back and saw this, and you see my reaction on this uh, video on YouTube, I, I was genuinely impressed because um, knowing that all three of us were together, I had the keys to the place. No one else was in there fooling around. Um, you've got to wonder, you know, is there a big spider or a mouse that crawled onto the paper and pushed it along? You know, did some sort of unexpected breeze suddenly get into the room and knock the paper but not the whistle? It, it was unusual. Right. So, yeah, I, yeah. Do you have the link for that? Uh, I see, oh, you're not in chat. I was going to ask you if you could put that in the chat, and I would post that up on the website. Uh, if I'll, you can... I'll just give the web address again. It'd just go to www.youtube.co.uk or .com. I think it'll work for both, but .co.uk is the safe bet. Forward slash parapsychology101. Okay. Hang on. I'm going to try to think. Why you... Oh, God, I can't type. YouTube. I have a cold on my brain. YouTube. Y O U? Yeah. Y O U T U B E. Yep. Dot. 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 UK. Dot co. Dot. Dot UK. Yep. Forward slash. Yep. And I think it's. I, I used a capital P for parapsychology, so parapsychology 101. Okay, I'm going to try to see if we can get that up. Okay. Because I am genuinely interested in looking yeah. at that. It, it's uh, not very long. I did. I edited it down from at least, I think we had 20 hours of footage, and we spent um, about two years at that location in total. So my, uh, me personally, I had about 20 hours of footage. But then there was loads of uh, loads more footage from the other people that were there helping me research, some of which were um, uh, police officers who were doing this in their spare time. And that particular piece of footage um, is edited down from all the other projects and experiments that we were setting up. And most of the other trigger objects were actually being filmed with cameras, but we only had about five cameras with us. And there were several trigger objects that we, we couldn't put video cameras on. We could only take before and after photos or photos every half hour. Right. Uh, but, you know, when you see this footage from the point of me setting up to the point of us returning, I can only say from my point of view that it is genuine that no one actually went and tampered with it. We set it up, all the objects were inside the uh, pen marks where we circled around them. And when we return, one of them has actually moved a good centimetre outside of the uh, um, the area. And I think there's another video on there, um, which unfortunately has been filmed um, under poor lighting conditions. But it, 
it's reminiscent of when we're at Pleasant Well, you're going to have to hold that thought because we have to take a break right now. Cal, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick. And we'll be right back after the following messages on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Thank you very much. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Miller X family. Four hundred twenty-seven. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick here on TojiNet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Oh, I still feel crappy. <laughs> so anyway, you were, you were talking. Now, now, to me, of all the, the evidence, uh, I think that objects moving are perhaps the most interesting of all. So anyways, complete your uh, conversation. You had talked about the penny and how it moved a little bit, and then there was another piece of video you said. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it was kind of reminiscent of when we were at Plessy Bell Mills. And again, I think I mentioned this before, where we were throwing stones off into the dark, and we were filming it again with uh, off-duty police officers. And one of the last stones that we threw out, and we said, if no one throws the stone back, we're going to leave, we heard it drop, and then it, it rolled all the way back to us across this big room that was meant to house um, old textile looms and the place was empty it just got these massive pillars ceiling to floor and uh, about 10 foot high windows with about three foot of brick below them and it was a big room about 100 yards across and you could see just in the far right hand corner the one door which was the entrance and the only exit as well so we knew no one was in there fooling around and the same with the video Unexplained too. that metal washer that I've got between my hands, when we throw it into the dark, 
a plastic wire connector gets thrown back. Now, you don't really see that on camera, but you hear it. And we also felt it get thrown past our heads as well and hit the door behind us. And you see the camera turn around and I go and find it at the bottom of the door. And that is unusual. I mean, you can't really kind of say what it is. If you've managed to get these rational explanations out of the way, was it something loose from the ceiling and we've just interpreted it as coming loose and it's just come loose from the ceiling and we've interpreted it as paranormal if we can rule that out of the way can we say it's spirits of the dead that are actually throwing this stuff or is it because we really want something to move about it's psychokinesis or telekinesis whichever you're more familiar with and we're doing it via the power of the mind just like spoon bending and it's our combined will for this phenomena to happen that it does happen and it's something small like a pebble rolling across the floor or a penny moving out of a circle. Who knows? This is the hard thing to actually reach any solid conclusion on. And again, with the phone calls from the dead, um, you know, just because we've had this telephone conversation, what is the actual conclusion we can reach if we've checked all the phone um, company records? If there's no record of the telephone call taking place, but there are other witnesses there? Are we truly speaking to the dead or have we somehow psychically created the call to kind of um, settle our grief in certain cases? It's hard to actually find out what the actual source of the call is, but we can actually look at all these rational explanations to find out whether there's any suggestion of some sort of anomalous process taking place. And certainly with these videos that are put on YouTube, at the time I couldn't think of anything that was causing them, so it seems that some sort of anomalous process is going on. But anyone watching them for the first time who wasn't there, they might reach completely different conclusions that are more on the sceptical side. Uh, have you managed to watch one of them yet, Ron? And no, I couldn't get on at all. I'm going to have to play with that after the show. Uh, oh, anyways, the, the interesting thing is, is you mentioned, like, uh, you know, telekinesis. I mean, to me, if you believe, you know, telekinesis is just as improbable as spirits or just as probable as spirits. Uh, it's on the same realm. So, I mean, it's not really a scientifically accepted thing that we can move objects with our minds. Well, some parapsychologists would say that it's more, accepti uh, more acceptable to accept the possibility of psychokinesis than it is spirits of the dead. Uh, so the, why is that? I, I don't understand. There's no proof of either. Well, there's, there's evidence to suggest in parapsychology that psychokinesis can occur, especially with the well, laboratory research. Well, there's suggestion that spirits can occur, uh, certainly in, in, as well. So I, I, just, I, I find that really interesting that parapsychologists would take a leap of faith and believe that psychokinesis can work, yet they refuse to believe that spirits exist. I mean, it's, it, it, to me, it's, it's absurd, actually. But it goes back to what I was just saying with the telephone, though. Is haunting phenomena created by us, though, unconsciously via some sort of psychic ability that we're not aware of? Um, if we see an apparition, we would class it in parapsychology as a hallucination, not in the psychiatric sense, saying that the person is delusional or they're imagining it. They've had a sensory experience. That person genuinely um, believes that they've experienced the apparition, they can probably describe it to you, they can probably say, you know, they went cold, and there's all these sensory experiences going on. At the end of the day, they saw this form in front of them, and they can describe it to you. But because no one else saw it, was it just created by them alone? It's not necessarily an objective phenomena, and it's, it's certainly very far out for us to actually conclude that as life after death. You've got this 
sole experience that's centered around one person. So it's more likely that they're responsible for the experience taking place than the apparition itself being an independent phenomenon, if you get what I mean. So right. when we look at it in that terms, the psychokinesis seems more likely to be an actual phenomenon than apparitions or spirits of the dead. Because while we're alive, maybe the brain is capable of doing these things and creating these sensory experiences. After we die, it becomes more complex to assume that mental activity is still occurring. It's a possibility, and it's certainly a theory that parapsychology still considers. And this is something, again, that I've had to put down into my book. At the end of the day, we've got to look for any anomalous process that could be taking place or just evidence that's suggestive that, okay, we've looked for the rational explanations, they're not presenting themselves. It's coming from somewhere. The source of this experience is coming from somewhere, and it's most likely a person that is involved in the experience. So then we've got to say, okay, why that person? Why has that person had that experience? Is there something going on in their lives that's quite stressful that might have caused them to have that experience? Or were they not expecting it to happen? And if they weren't expecting it to happen, genuinely, then, you know, there's more chance of swaying it into this camp of survival after death. So, you know, it just gets so complex and philosophical, but that's what I love about it, because it's just, it's a never-ending puzzle. But you can slowly but surely start to group these different experiences together. Um, I, I think that's all you can do. I mean, th that's the thing. I mean, it, we really, really seriously don't know, you know, if any of these seriously exist. I mean, it's only our beliefs. It's really a, people don't want to admit it, but, uh, you know, ghosts are a belief-based system. Uh, if you believe in the afterlife, then you believe in ghosts. Uh, and I think if you don't believe, then you won't have a paranormal experience, or at least you won't accept it as a um, uh, spiritual experience, as far as ghost spirits, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it. I think it's all based on your own personal belief system rather than the science. Uh, you know, we, I, I've been overlooked, well, I I've been overlooking some questions in the chat when we really should get to them, but I, I really do believe that it's a lot to do with your own beliefs rather than the, the activity itself. Uh, but anyways, we did have uh, two questions. Scott, from the uh, the chat room, when we were going back and we were talking about the tri triggered object moving, he says, when you set that up, Cal, uh, did you uh, ask for activity to occur or did you just drop it down, you know, throw a penny down, mark it off, lock it off, and then... then you know, in your own mind, hope that it would move? I mean, or did you say, okay, we have, we have a penny here, uh, can you move this penny and then do the, and leave? If the people in the chat room have actually gone and found these videos, that's great. So I can actually kind of talk you through what happened. And we just basically selected different objects, be them um, little whistles, pennies, dice, and all sorts of small things that we could put on a piece of paper and at least have two or three and draw around them. Um, after we'd drawn around them, signed them, dated them, make sure that, that they were still within the area that we'd drawn around and they hadn't moved out. We then left the room and every time I had to be the last person to leave the room to confirm that it was all fine and I was always the first one to return back. After we'd done that one with the whistle and the penny, um, I think we went down the servant staircase. Uh, we didn't say, oh, you know, if there are any spirits here, could you move the trigger object? We just drew them left them, took a picture or left a camera running on them, and that was it, just in the hope that something new that's been brought into the building and left on its own might be tampered with. 
it psychokinetically or by poltergeist activity or anything. We were just hoping for some sort of activity to take place. The interesting thing was immediately after drawing around that penny and the whistle, we went down the servant staircase. And as we got to the bottom and we went out onto the main landing next to the King Charles room, um, all three of us were carrying walkie-talkies in case we split up. We never did throughout the entire night, but it was just in case we did. Right. And they were all turned on. As we got to the bottom of the stairs, static went off on mine, then it went off on Richard's, and it went off on Paul's. And I took my walkie-talkie and I turned it on and I said, hello, is there anyone there? And when I let go, there was some static. And then a woman's voice came through and said, we know you're alone in there. And then more static came through and then some scrambled voices and we all just looked at each other and just smiled and we're like wow that's weird and then we went for a break and we, we just went sat around had something to drink left the trigger objects there and just discussed you know what could that have been on the radio um we're near fairly near a sort of town we, we were on the edge of nottingham literally on the cliff in clifton near the clifton estate but you have to drive through a village to get there so we're quite a way away for any taxi cab transmissions to come through. It's a possibility that radio waves tamper with it or, you know, who knows, a, a baby monitor or something. That There were certainly some brand new houses only a few yards away from Clifton Hall. It's a possibility. We did go through numerous explanations. We checked the houses the next day and no one had actually moved into them yet. So that ruled out anyone in the houses nearby having any radio equipment that could have tampered with it. We weren't sure, um, and then we went back, checked all the trigger objects, and lo and behold, one of them had moved in the room that has the most activity, or tends to. And uh, that was it. We, we didn't really speak out or try and encourage anything to happen. We just set things up as experiments, left them running, and went back to check on them. Uh, and that was it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it, it, we were talked about, uh, uh, you know, the belief in... Uh, that I said that the belief system has to do with it. Somebody said that, well, atheists see apparitions as well. And I yeah. I think, I, I really don't believe that. I believe that they do really? believe that. I, right, I really don't. I really believe that they believe their life after death or else uh, they would simply dismiss it. Uh, they would It would be just rationalized away. Uh, if you are an atheist, then you cannot believe in a spirit system because if you believe that what is what is a ghost? You have, I guess you have to define what a spirit, what a ghost is be, mm. before you go any farther. I, I think there can be kind of many different categories of people that class themselves as atheists. Though I think just because you're classed as you class yourself as an atheist, you're just wanting to separate yourselves from a structured religious system. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that because you're atheist, you don't believe that the mind has to go somewhere after you die. You might not have the concept of a heaven or hell, but you know, it, it, you know, you might have this kind of scientific theory that somehow it becomes interconnected into the environment, environment in some way, and that's what creates all these psychic experiences and uh, ghosts and hauntings. That's one possibility. I've certainly met several. Uh, people that were absolute skeptics and I remember one such case was my old driving instructor uh, instructor he always told me at a time he used to work in a factory and he was an absolute skeptic didn't like talking about the paranormal never thought about it either doesn't really follow any religion and he was uh, working in there as a cleaner and he was in one of the corridors and he was mopping the floor 
and he looked up towards the double doors in the corridor and he saw a little girl standing there and as he stared at her she came running towards him and ran straight through him and he turned around and he saw her run down the other side of the corridor and through the door and he dropped his mop and just walked out of there and he said I quit the job and ever since then I thought okay maybe there's something more to life something more's going on and immediately he changed from a skeptic to a believer in paranormal phenomena and accepted that maybe we don't know everything. And I've heard loads of cases like that, not just my driving instructor. I've known loads of people that said, you know, I was an absolute skeptic. And then something very personal happened, a personal experience to me, my family, and it's changed me. Just that single experience has changed my outlook on life. And that seems to happen for a lot of paranormal experiences, whether it be around the time of suffering some sort of loss of a friend or a loved one, or just some sort of experience that's significant to you. It changes people's outlook on life sometimes to have these transpersonal experiences, some of them, some people might call them. Right. I, well, I will have to do some more soul searching on that one. <laughs> yeah, you was, did that. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> anyway, I, I think that's interesting. It really did. And, and I, I actually have a question to you going back to this trigger argument again. You said you set up beam barriers. Uh, are we talking about an infrared beam? Yeah, those are separate occasions. If you look at the uh, footage of when we set up the um, trigger objects, I don't think, though I'd have to ask Richard and uh, Paul or get out the old research report, I don't think we set up beam barriers then. Two years previously in that same area, which you see on the video footage on YouTube, when we're walking down this corridor and up some stairs to go back to the trigger object when we found that it's moved, it's in that very corridor where we put beam barriers from each side and they were an infrared beam that went from one little device to another. So if you put your hand between them or your foot or you just walk past them and kind of uh, broke, uh, broke the infrared beam between the two devices, then it would go off and it would sound an alarm that was very loud and you could hear it anywhere in the uh, building just about. Well, that's interesting because now, now that you're, you're supposing that, that uh, spirits have mass if they can break the beam, I mean, you would have to uh, somehow uh, disrupt the IR field that's going across there, the IR light, excuse me, and uh, so they mu therefore they must have mass then, right? Well, th this is just something that we tested out, and I say this about, uh, I think it's about seven years ago now that we actually originally set that up. I haven't used those things in ages, but um, yeah, there's a lot of people that still assume that, okay, if we've seen an apparition in this particular corridor, or more so people have reported an apparition in this particular corridor walking up and down, can we say that somehow it's got some sort of physical mass by putting these beam barriers up? And if it does walk through this corridor constantly and people see it, you know, once every hour or so, or maybe once a day, hopefully the beam barrier will go off. I think when we investigated a, a property um, not too far from the University of Northampton, it was myself and six other parapsychologists went out to investigate this place, and we took numerous, um, uh, they were kind of, the, we took beam barriers and also the, the room sensors as well. And they didn't go off, but certainly a lot of people that were working in this office building, they'd reported hearing footsteps going up the stairs. And I think a couple of people had actually seen some sort of dark figure going up and down the stairs. So the person that was leading this investigation 
uh, one of my um, tutors, he um, requested them all these beam barriers or different devices being put in different areas just in case something in the room does move and maybe there is some sort of movement going on or if it is a ghost, you know, it, it might suggest that it's got some sort of physical mass. I, I think, first of all, we've just got to see, will it go off? And if it does go off, why is it going off? And then we've got to turn to the rational explanations again first. Um, I can't even begin to imagine what a ghost to be made of. Um, exactly. <laughs> That's the interesting thing about it. Now, the other question I would ask, uh, and once again, I haven't seen these videos, is how far off the floor or the ground were the beams? Were they, uh, you know, an inch off the ground, six inches, 12 inches? Like I say, the, the room that we were in had been raised off the floor, which is why yeah. we go up steps to get back into the room. Yeah. So as you as you come back down the steps, there were um, ledges either side of the corridor where you could place things, and these ledges were about four foot off the ground. So we placed the beam barriers about there. So they're, they're basically, um, well, just above your waist, really, if you're walking no, that's, by That's them. interesting in, in, in that, so th therefore you basically rule out mice and everything because of the height of it for the most part, uh, you know. Could a mice crawl yeah. along the wall, walk over the thing? Yeah, of course that's possible. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's very interesting. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people believe that, for instance, shadow people. If you go into shadow people, and that's a whole, another whole new story. And uh, they believe that the, they are masked is definitely masked, and, and shadow people. And it, it, is there really a difference between a shadow person and a spirit, or is it just a manifestation of a spirit or ghost? You know, that's mm. there's so much we really, really don't know. That's the what makes this field so interesting. And, you know, some people go, well, there's the difference between a ghost phenomena and a spiritual phenomena. Um, it, once again, I think it's your own belief system, what you believe a ghost is, what you believe a spirit is. You have to get these definitions down before you really can comment. I mean, it, 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 and to go at you, it, it, in reality, if you're going to do an argument, you have to say, okay, a ghost is, if an atheist is, uh, you know, spirit is, shadow person. The, the, you need to know what these definitions of these uh, obscure items, and, and, and they are obscure in that we don't know what a spirit is, a shadow person is, or anything. So you have to start with some kind of a, a, a basis of definition. Hmm. Well, one of the bottom lines, going back to what I said earlier, was that we do know that, you know, for a single person to see an apparition, it's definitely a sensory experience. They have to be there and you have to witness it and you, you take in your surroundings and you take in the whole experience and embrace it and then end up telling it to someone because it either excited you, frightened you and, and so on. So just because we have maybe two or three people there at the time and they see an apparition, does this then say, OK, it was definitely there, it wasn't a sensory experience? The problem there is that we could say that these people had a group telepathic experience, which is argued in collective cases of ghosts, where several people see an apparition. It could be that one person there is the main person responsible for creating the sensory experience that they then telepathically pass on to the other people there, which is why it's important to separate those people and get their individual accounts of what they actually saw to see, did they, did they match up? And it's a bit more suggestive of the apparition being some sort of physical matter that was there at the time. Or is it just a confused sensory experience and it might be just passed on through the people that were there and a bit of psychology thrown into the mix? These are the, the kind of problems that we're 
faced with. And also there was the famous case at Drury Lane where there were several actors on stage um, doing something, some sort of rehearsal, they finished a play, and they all saw the great lady walking through um, the front seats. And, you know, you got a mass amount of people that then saw this apparition and turned to each other and then started discussing their experience. Again, just because there are several people there, it doesn't necessarily mean that the ghost or the mist or the shadow was a physical thing. So then we still have to answer, okay, who's responsible? Where's this experience coming from? What's its purpose? What does it mean? This is a problem. It just paranormal experiences, paranormal research tends to give us more questions than it does answers. But by doing this, by questioning everything, by starting to actually go out and understand people's experiences, we then start to end up with these categories that slowly but surely start to build. And, and one of the uh, main people that I admire for doing this sort of research is uh, Louisa Ryan, um, Joseph Banks Ryan's wife, who did a mass collection of spontaneous cases and did start to categorize all these different sensory experiences and look at people's individual accounts. Uh, and this is where the root of paranormal research is, going out into the field, going back to where people have had these experiences, finding out the hows and the whys, and talking to the people that have these experiences to see if you can make sense of them and then compare them to hundreds upon thousands of possible other experiences that have happened in other places of the world. And again, like you mentioned earlier, you've got to take in belief systems as well and understand people's religious point of view and atheistic right. I mean, point of view and so on. Right. So, I mean, we think about it. If you're saying a ghost has to be seen to exist, basically. Uh, it's a personal experience. So, for instance, you know, if, if a tree falls in a wood and no one's around, it still make a sound. It's, it's very same. Yeah. Do ghosts exist when no one else is around? Uh, and if they do exist, do they exist in a physical form? Uh, mm. Do we know that? We don't know that because we don't. We don't. It's as simple as that. I mean, people say, oh, we, we've set up cameras and we've captured things, too. But in reality, how many times have we set up stuff and uh, captured things? And how many times have we experienced things when there were no cameras around? Uh, so mm -hmm. it, it, maybe there is a cognizance of, of uh, our instruments and so forth. And, and it really comes down to whether they want to be seen or... or, or are uh, mm. witnessed. So, I mean, there's so much we really don't know, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's a fascinating subject, but uh, it, it really is. The more you go into it, and the more you, I, I always like to look at it at every angle, and especially if I can do something that's controversial, people bring out uh, what ifs, and you know, that, and that, that works good, because we should all have our beliefs challenged, and, and if we don't have our minds open enough, then we cannot, we'll never truly understand it. In other words, if we just say, okay, mm -hmm. like for instance, and I said uh, the ghosts are, can only be seen by people who have beliefs. Well, if I went on that and other people uh, who seen ghosts that do not have beliefs, it's always going to be my theory that, well, you do have beliefs, you just don't admit it. So, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it really is uh, fascinating. I, I love the subject and I love talking about it. Mm. And and Maybe. I think that's probably why you got into and evolved because you 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 just find it so interesting in yourself and the psychology behind it and and uh, so forth, right? Yeah, it's just a puzzle of human life now. You know, one of the many puzzles of our own abilities and existence. Really, it really baffles me, and I just love thinking about the topics of 
you know, uh, human nature and the, the hidden abilities that we might have. And going back to what you just said there about, well, is there any way of kind of studying this? Does it require the person to be there? I've thought that the only possible way of doing this is taking the one particular phenomena of hauntings. And if you had a particular building that you could run constant CCTV footage in every room or camera footage and you could keep that monitored throughout a year without people going there, will you actually pick up these so-called apparitions that people experience in that location, the objects moving, the sounds heard, all from just having video cameras running, or does it just require the person or persons to actually be in the location to experience what we define as a haunting? And that way we can see whether it's a physical independent thing that happens all the time, whether people are present or not, or whether it's to do with our own senses, and it is sensory, and maybe we are creating it, because we have to be there to actually create the experience and for it to be present. Right. Um, I, I, and the again, doorbell, that, that the gives the divide rang. between psychic abilities and survival. The doorbell ring, that means the pizza's here, so we wrap it up. So <laughs> anyways, um, I, I, in the chat room, I did mention that, uh, you know, like children are born with their own uh, belief system, then it's eventually molded by their environment and the community. Yeah. Uh, whatever it is, and uh, we have to remember too that the fetus or the child being in, in in the mother is certainly influenced by the mother in so many different ways that we can even understand. Uh, we, we, you know, for instance, let's. There are so many studies about playing classical music to a baby, reading to a baby still in the belly. So I mean, there's so much we don't know, and it's really fascinating. But once again, the pizza is here, and it's time to go. So, Cal, we want to wish you a very safe and uh, happy trip there out to the West Coast. I wish you were coming to the East Coast, because then I could buy you a pint, and uh, we could carry this conversation at our local uh, establishment here. And uh, But uh, we'll catch you this summer, I guess. I'll hold you to that. A few more months, and I'll be with you, Ron. I salute you <laughs> to it, and you uh, you can keep that pint cool for me. Uh, oh, you like it cool? I thought the English liked it warm. No, no, hell no. I keep it outside. It's freezing at the moment. <laughs> keep it cool. <laughs> All right, Cal, we want to thank you very much for uh, helping out. And uh, once again, uh, your book is uh, Phone Calls for the Dead. You will be out in the West Coast, and the conference uh, is... It's going to be the Life After Life Club in Laguna Woods Village, and it'll be on February 2nd from 3.30 till 5pm. If anyone can get around, send me an email or anything, I'll let you know more details. I hope to see you there. All right, Cal, and remember, parapsychology, uh, I mean, para... Oh, my God. Time to wrap it up. <laughs> Can't even talk. The website, calcooper.com. Visit it. There you go. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. This is Togida.